All right, guys, welcome back to episode three of the YVR Remo Show, the Vancouver Real Estate and Mortgage Show. Listen, the last couple of shows have been fantastic. We've been getting incredible support. Thank you so much to our audience for everything that you've been doing. Episode three is going to be fire. I promise you that. We are talking today about capping off with the coronavirus. That thing is still going on. The market is on fire fire in the lower mainland and we're going to explain some of the things that we're seeing on a regular basis there. The highlight of the show today is really about four opportunities to make money in real estate and investing. What does that look like? I think a couple of them will surprise you guys. We'd love to hear some feedback, so make sure to send us a message, drop us a note, uh, subscribe, all that fun stuff. I'm here with my partners, Derek and Dean. We're from Thrive Mortgage Co. Thank you again today, Farm Brewing, for the support. Guys, listen to the show. Let us know what you think. What's up, guys? You are listening to the YBR Remo Show, where we talk all things Vancouver real estate and mortgages, take boring topics, and make them interesting. Make sure to stay tuned to listen to everything you need to know how to put cash back in your pocket, create wealth in real estate, and simplify the complicated. Good evening, folks. Hello. It's, uh, it's real, guys. It's been two weeks. It's been a hiatus. It feels like it's been six months. Uh, we're back in the chair, and I'm super excited here. Um, episode three. This is going to be a big one. It's really exciting. Um, we're going to talk about all sorts of fun stuff. But I want to start off by talking about where we ended off our last episode. Our last episode, we had a conversation about the coronavirus and the impact on it we foresaw the future. We talked about last time the fact that uh, we were going to see interest rates come down based on the bond market. We foretold the future. What have we seen, my friend? It's actually a big drop. We've seen rates come down from just over 3% to as low as 2.69. So a huge drop, actually. It's a good time to uh, to make a move if you've been on the fence. Yep. <laughs> or at yep. the very least, get a rate hold from whoever you're dealing with. Yeah, on that point, uh, we're not going to spend too much time on the coronavirus today because a lot of people talked about it before, but crazy just to see the way that it's gone. Uh, there was a, a period of time, I think on February 2nd, where the government of China announced they were doing this massive injection of, I don't even know, some insane like trillions of dollars into the uh, the market. And we saw the, the bond market, a little tiny tip up, but now it's dropped back down again. So it looks like it's going to stay low as long as this impact is still in. It could be a week, it could be Three weeks, could be months. Uh, good news for borrowers, not so good for the Chinese and the Canadian economy. All right, let's move on. Guys, We are you can see the bags in our eyes. We're working some long days right now. Multiple offers are a thing right now. It's, it's, uh, it's amazing where we went through almost, what was it, a year and a half where in 2017, uh, and I'd say part of 2018, the market was just on fire and multiple offers were just a regular occurrence, especially 2017. Uh, 2018, it was kind of hit and miss. 2019, it was you couldn't sell anything, and now, like literally every single day, we've been getting that call. Oh, buddy, it's crazy! It's such a seller's market right now, such a seller's market. So, like, buyers need to be prepared going into these offers that they don't really have a lot of negotiation power at all. They need to be firm on prices. Like, they need to understand. They need to pay asking price, if not a little bit more, to make it work, right? Depending on the property, obviously, but back to buying before selling. Yeah, we've had, we had so many calls on this in the last two days. We're like four calls in two days. Well, why would someone do that? Yeah, good question. Tell me. Now that there's all this subject-free multiple offers going on, people realize that if they uh, if they go into a property 
looking for they need to they need to find the property that they want to live in they need to get it on contract before they want to list because if you list and you sell your house and then you start shopping and then you're going into multiple multiple offers and you can't get the property that you want what are you going to do you're stuck with a sold property and you have to rent or live with family or whatever like it's not a good situation so a lot of people have the question how do i get qualified to buy before i actually sell and what does that look like because there's always a worst case scenario what if your house doesn't sell right what does that look like so we have to prepare the file for that situation and make sure there's a there's a solution if that did come up i think the biggest thing for me when we're going into it is often we're seeing this in circumstances where people don't have a mortgage that are making the move and their biggest concern like you mentioned is they want to find their quote-unquote dream home they don't want to be left homeless so their bank's basically doing what i mean not giving an option to the clients right and that's that's been a big part of it so so there's there's ways to offset that risk obviously like there's one way looking at it if you're adding rental income to the existing home right that a lot of people don't think of if you can't sell that house what does it look like if you were to rent it out and is that going to allow you to qualify for the new purchase um, or do you tap into the existing property that's clear title do you put a line of credit on it so you have access to money to close on the new purchase there's a lot of different options and solutions that you can dive into but you just need to make sure you're pre-approved and actually qualify for that before you make any big moves it's where we make our money get creative that's for sure all right guys that's enough of the intro lots happening we got a big show today we got a lot of exciting things we're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about four ways to make money in real estate of course there's there's a lot more than four ways but one of our our primary focuses as a company as a team the thing that we talk about all the time is just really making a difference in the lives of our clients by teaching them how to create wealth and so we always get asked you know what's the best use of my money how do i do this and often we will you know on the flip side we'll talk to people about this and they'll say i don't think i can do that i don't know if that's an option where i can create wealth or make money or invest in real estate i'm actually having the conversation with a family member right now about this and showing them it is possible and this is what it looks like. So we're going to dig into four of those uh, different options today. Um, actually, things that some of us personally have done and have a lot of experience with and things that we've seen and helped all of our clients with. So, uh, Derek, why don't you start us off here today, buddy? I got a, we got an exciting one to, to kick off with, I think. Yeah, yeah. This has actually been a pretty hot topic lately. We did a presentation last week um, on this for a bunch of people that are actively thinking about buying and building. So. A lot of people think about construction financing and they think it's unobtainable. Not sure why. Maybe they think that there's a, you know, you need 50% down on the land. There's a lot of rumors that float around depending on who you talk to. Um, so we've been doing a ton of construction financing and it's actually a great way to not only build your dream home and build what you want to live in, but to make money doing so. Um, a couple of the, the biggest aspects where you can see financial gain is number one, if there's tax, there's tax differences, right? So if you compared um, buying a lot, you're going to have GST costs, right? So this is a comparison of building a home to buying a brand new home. So if you were to buy a lot, you're only paying GST on the lot, right? Whereas if you're buying a brand new home, you're paying that 5% GST on the full amount. So it doubles, pretty well doubles, if not more, that GST tax bill. Not to mention the property transfer tax. This is huge. You're only paying property transfer tax on the lot. You're not paying property transfer tax on that much higher purchase value if you were to buy a brand new home. So we're doing this right now for some clients. This is pretty high end and it doesn't fit for everybody, um, but they're spending about $1.7 million cost, right? So they're buying the land and they're building their house for $1.7 million. Uh, we did a comparison. They figure their property is going to be worth about 1.9, 1.95 when it's done. 
So we ran a comparison to show them the cost differences uh, from building to buying just on the tax piece is $80,000. Massive, right? Let's, Huge. let's bring that back down to earth for a second before we get too much further. So th there were a lot of numbers that we just talked about, and I know that some people are into that and some people aren't, but let's just talk about this like logistically again. Like why on earth is someone looking to build uh, a property? In this case, it's in Langley and spend one point or well, have it cost $1.7 million. Like what, where does that even make sense right now when you could find a, I mean, I don't know, maybe a different property, a different price point. I know why, but let's break it down for these people. Totally. So this is a, actually a new development in Brookswood. It's called the Brookswood Mills. Uh, beautiful, beautiful area, big lots. It's going to be surrounded by very nice homes. Everybody's building fair, fairly consistent, big, brand new homes uh, in a good spot. Um, not to mention that all of these, pretty well all of these properties are going to have a suite that can also be Airbnb'd. Um, so as much as, you know, 1.7 million seems so out of range and it's massive, and like how does anybody afford that or even qualify for it? Uh, a big part of that is going to be rental income. When we live in such a, a hot rental market that, you know, for a brand new basement suite that's 1,500 square feet or even 1,200 square feet, you can get $2,000 a month, right? It's going to yeah. cut your mortgage payment in half. So that's just another thing where a lot of people think that building or buying that property that's, you know, over a million dollars is not achievable. Think about rental income because we live in such a, a hot area for rent. It's drastic what you can, what you can pull of just a basement suite. Yeah, especially in this market with multiple offers, not a lot of inventory. You have the pick of the litter here, which is unique. A lot of people aren't thinking, hey, I can build a house. It's, it's not something that everyone thinks about doing, right? So you have an opportunity to get exactly what you want here You get to, in regards to lot, where you're located, and then just build, like you said, your dream home. But it's always important to, to note when you're building a house, you don't want to build it just for you. You're yeah, yeah, thinking yeah. For the you know the end sale, who's going to buy that? House, I think right? that's a fair thing in all these situations where we're talking about this. The primary goal is, yeah, I mean, technically you can build a home that you would want to live in, but you're building it for the best possible resale value. Jumping back onto your previous situation, so we talked about the fact that you're going to save money first and foremost just on taxes by building, but in addition to that, your complete value right off the bat on a $1.7 million purchase price relative to today's value is probably going to be around 200,000 bucks plus the tax savings. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously you got to be working with somebody who knows what they're doing. Otherwise you're going to spend all that money right away. The best comparison is in this exact same development, there's a developer building this type of a home and selling for 1.9 to 2, 2.1. And so, they're not custom. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're spec, right? Yeah. But what, explain that for people who are listening that have never built a home or don't know. So they have one set of floor plans with, you know, maybe two different sets of color schemes when it comes to counters and cabinetry and flooring. And they, you know, that's it's a spec. So they're building it to, you know, that speculation. They have two, you know, maybe color schemes, but like I said, same floor plan. You buy that house, you're not moving walls. You're not, hey, put the kitchen over here, put the bathroom over there. It's, it's what they say they're going to build. Your real only choice is, like I said, colors. Yeah, you know, it's interesting as well because we hear people talking about all the time, like it's it's unaffordable to, to build a home. Why would I build a home in this market? What does it look like? I think the reality is, is like, again, it's got to be the right piece of land, the right property. Uh, you got to be working with the people who know it. Like we've seen builders lose a ton of money. We've seen homeowners lose a ton of money. But again, in the right circumstance, so for example, the one we're talking about here, there is a lot of opportunity to be made, but it's no different than anything else. It just comes down to properly structuring it. And that's where obviously we look at that, that kind of financing piece to make sure it makes sense, right? Totally. And like, this is hundred percent not for everybody. Yeah. A lot of people look at this and they're like, well, why wouldn't everybody do this and make this kind of money? 
Well, first of all, there is a pretty big cash component that you need to have. Not to mention, this is going to be a year of construction that is going to affect your life. Like this isn't just something that's hands off. You need to be dealing with it, talking to the builder, talking to your, your bank or your broker about financing. Like it is literally going to be 12 months of, of outside work that you need to deal with to make this happen, right? Um, I mean, I think the, the best way to put this for people to understand, like how can you make money building? This is why there are builders. This is why there are developers that, that can make so much money creating real estate and creating properties, there's profit in it, right? So if you take it into your own hands and do it yourself, we have some people that have, you know, they have uh, industry experience, if you want to call it that. People can do self-builds, right? Where you're actually managing the build yourself. So you're dealing with the trades, you're dealing with all these things. And in that, you're, you're going to make a lot of money doing that. But again, it's a full-time job for a year. Yeah, it's the right place. It's the right project. It's the right people you're surrounding yourself with. This particular project, we're working with a group of professionals, whether it's the realtor, us is with on the finance side, the framers, the the electricians. There, it's a group there that's been assembled, and that's for this. I I recommend this particular site for many people. You know, if you're building down the street on the site that doesn't have all that those pieces, all those support, all that's um, all those people to support you, then it's probably not an ideal situation if you've never done this before. I'll, I'll, I'll touch on one final thing before we move on to the next topic and what that looks like, because we could probably talk. We're going to do a future episode literally all about construction, financing, construction mortgages, and we'll dig deep on that. But um, I think the big thing to think about here as well is if this is something that you're considering you don't need as much money as you might think. I mean, you're going to need, we would reasonably say about 25% of your total cost or total cost of land. And, yeah, and that would be your minimum. That's what your, yeah, minimum that you get. So that's about 425000 plus your additional cost. So we'll call it $500,000 today. But there are a lot of people out there. There's a lot of families that have way more than $500,000 in equity in their home. So talk to your mom. Talk to your dad, talk to your grandpa, get them on board. Because at the end of the day, you know, if you're going to look at an opportunity to, to create some some real family wealth, this is one way to do it. So so the more you bang the table, the more. Oh, right. I'm banging the table. So the podcast is going to suck. I'm sorry for everybody who's listening to this right now. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's move on. Let's move on. Uh, Dean, let's dig into the next one, my friend. Renovate and flip. Yeah, there's I mean, you can go into so many buckets here but we'll we'll keep it buckets. we'll keep it short uh so this is something i've done myself and uh, so i believe in this model but uh basically looking at buying a vintage home so buying a home in you know really any time before 90 well i guess 2000 we're even getting no dated in 2000 vintage right? home, i like it so you know buying a vintage home that has potential to be modernized uh, that we're, we're gonna see we're gonna see value so typically a typical cash investment into a reno would usually double your value. So if you, for example, you put $50,000 into a home as a renovation, you're typically going to see about a seventy-five dollars to $100,000 in, in value increase in that home. But that's not always the case though, right? Well, it depends on what you're doing for sure. Like if you're, you know, if you're putting 50K into a home that was built in 2010, you're probably not going to see much value in return, right? Because you're, you're, you're fixing what something that's already what we would call modern already, right? You know, now, now it's just coming down to color preference and, you know, flooring preference. But when you're looking at a home that was built in like the early nineties or the late eighties, seventies, you know, we're, we're, it's pretty common in this area. If you put that kind of money, you should see that type of return. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Um, also depends on who's doing the work. So if you're the person doing the work, this applies. Yeah, it's definitely, yeah, there's definitely a, an element of sweat equity there, but you know, believe it or not, 
you can still see these types of returns hiring professionals to do this back to you know building a home and managing the certain trades when you when you manage these things there there's a level of um i guess sweat equity you can call it but typically a contractor is going to look for a 20 percent return to manage a, a a project this would be considered a project and if you were hiring a you know a full management team to do this for you there there's about 20 percent there that they they're going to realize just in profits and markups so if you're just simply doing this on your own and hiring the you know the specific trades to do it uh to do the project for you you you'll still see a very you know very close uh you know, profit to, the, to what I so mentioned. I think there's a couple, two huge pieces going into uh, a purchase and rental and flip is number one, you need to make sure you have the right financing. Like yeah. you do not take a five-year fixed mortgage if you're planning on selling this property in, in six months when you're done the renovation, you'll have huge penalties, which you're going to cut into your profits. So making sure you're set up with the right product, right? But whether, whether it be a line of credit or a variable um, and outside of that, working with a realtor that can help you understand neighborhoods, right? Like you want to be in a good central neighborhood close to transit. Like there's all these different pieces that come into play that a lot of people don't think about marketability. And and how long are you holding this flip? Are you going to keep it and live in it for a year? There's a tax yeah, exactly. component here. Yeah. If you keep the property, you live in it, you hold it for a year, you technically now don't have to pay tax on it because it's your primary residence. Whereas if you're buying multiple other properties, then you have to consider that as a cost, right? So that's yeah, a good point. How long are you living it? What is that product? I, I think that's the product piece is actually something that's never talked about. And I see, um, so, so we did a few flips actually last year in a down market for one of our clients and uh, he was pretty successful with it um in his circumstance after reviewing the file we actually chose to do a private lender for his situation which a lot of people think is absolutely nuts but because he was doing so many of these flips the cash having it available and getting rid of it as quick as possible was the most important thing without qualifying it was getting the point where he couldn't necessarily qualify and that happens quickly but just like any other investment, you're not looking at the cost, but what is the total investment and what's my return? And he did very, very well, all things considered, in less than less than 90 days um, on that side. Product is super important. And, and that comes down to what you're doing to the home. If, if it is a light reno, say under $50,000, you can get away with doing a purchase plus improvement mortgage which is an, a fantastic product for that, for that type of, uh, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe give a, a brief rundown on that. Yeah. So, so basically purchasing a home with say a, you know, a triple a AAA lender. So somebody that provides the best rates that you're common, that you would commonly see, they will, they will actually allow you to borrow an additional $40,000 to upgrade the home. Uh, I think we've touched on this in the past was, did we touch on this in the podcast? Maybe, I think we've already touched on this, but in, in high level, basically you would submit a, a quote of what you're looking to do. So I'm going to upgrade the kitchen I'm going to upgrade the, the master bathroom and do some tile $40,000, believe it or not. 40,000 goes quick. a sweet toilet in there. Yeah. Like, it's like good. And, and then the bank would say, yep, no problem. So what you would do is you go out and you buy the house and there'd be $40,000 there waiting to, to basically reimburse you for those upgrades. So typically you need to have that $40,000 readily available on your own. And then the bank would replenish that for you. But where we've seen some strategies is where uh, contractors will actually come in, complete that work, knowing that that $40,000 is in yes. trust and then they'll be paid back from there. So we, we've seen we've seen it work where you don't actually have the money, but- it's Kind of like a dumbed down construction mortgage where you get a draw to close. And then you do some work and then they replenish your yeah. funds, right? The key is, is it's 
it's not for everyone because it's capped at 40,000. Sometimes there's an exception to, you know, a little bit more, but you know, we're really looking under that 50 K threshold. So it's not for everyone. It's not for every renovation, but going into the next topic here under renovate and flip is finding a home that you could suite. So you can put a suite in, you know, believe it or not, these BC box homes, these split level homes that we see in Brookswood and, and the Aldergrove area and really right across BC, they, they can be fantastic homes to add a suite. And we've done homes, we, we've, we've seen this actually, we've seen clients put $40,000 into the home and actually get a suite with $40,000. So we've seen purchase plus improvement actually work in this case. And, and adding a suite to a home will add significant value to your home. Not only just that on that same side, but you know, adding the uh, the suites can add value to the home from an outside perspective in terms of selling, but from an internal perspective, it not only like if we're putting fifty thousand dollars into a suite, but we're getting eleven hundred dollar return or twelve hundred dollars back. You're paying basically if you're borrowing that money, you're paying two hundred, maybe two hundred fifty dollars on your mortgage payment, but you're getting twelve hundred dollars. You're actually netting a thousand bucks a month there which is pretty surreal, right? So that's another investment opportunity to pay yourself for living in your house, right? Totally. And when it comes time to sell that property, you have a totally other umbrella uh, gamut of, of clients that can essentially purchase that property because a ton of people that are buying these million dollar homes need rental income to qualify, right? And if there's no suite, you're dealing with a totally di different demographic of buyer. I like it. The gamut and the umbrella. Yeah. It's getting real here. I mean, the, the, the other value here to doing a suite <laughs> With, especially under a purchase plus improvement product is if you can, you can actually use that future rental income to qualify for that mortgage. So that's significant yeah. too. If you actually need the rental income to get that home, you know, adding the suite as part of a purchase plus improvement can get you in that home. Damn right. Damn right. All right. All right. So before we go any further, we got to, <laughs> we, we had a fail today. Uh, our good friends at farm country brewing were, uh, were offering us some beer. We got too busy. We were too focused on these multiple offers. So we're going to give them a little shout out and say, thanks. I got some uh, lovely juice in mine. Um, we're going to pop by later and get some, some beer off you guys and enjoy a little bit of that stuff. So thank you farm country for offering the beer for us. We're going to take you up on that after this week. Um, who would have thought, who would have thought, who would have thought. <laughs> All right. So let's get into, rental properties when we talk about rental properties in this sense we're just going to take the the traditional long-term rental property approach we're just going to break down some of the things you want to consider so this is this is number three in terms of making money i think this is actually the most traditional way that people think about making money in real estate they think about i'm going to buy a I don't know, especially in the lower man, mainland, they're thinking I'm going to buy a rental condo or something like that. I'm going to rent it out. I'm going to hold it for 10 or 15 years, which isn't a bad thing at all. Uh, it is one way that you can do it, whether whether it's a condo or a house or a townhouse or whatever it is, long-term rentals work. They've always worked. They make a ton of sense. Um, I would consider it one of the more conservative of the overall investments, but one of the best uh, simple ones that you can get started on. Guys, jump in. Yeah. I mean, why not have somebody pay your mortgage? It's pretty, it's a no brainer, right? And it's why everyone does it is it, you know, you can have somebody literally pay for your mortgage, which is going to, you know, pay down the principal. So in five years, we're going to see, okay, this big chunk of principal has been paid off plus my house appreciated. So it, it's a no brainer. The ROI, the rate, the return on an investment can be significant. Yeah. There's three things that you want to look for in an investment property, principal pay down, which is 
obvious. That's what uh, is, is happening while the renters are, are paying your mortgage. You're going to see principal pay down, which is going to create equity over the life of the mortgage. Uh, you're going to look for appreciation. So you want to buy, sorry, uh, you want to buy in obviously an area that hopefully sees some appreciation, but be conservative. I wouldn't go into any purchase uh, or flip or, or build, assuming that you're going to see massive appreciation. Uh, and then obviously cash flow. If you can, you want to see cash flow on your property, even if it's $20 a month, that is a good rental property if you're cash flowing at all. Sometimes, even if you're not cash flowing, like in the lower mainland, we've talked about this a lot. Let's say you're out of pockets, out of pocket, $100 a month, right? So out of all your costs, you have to put in $100 a month. If you look at that over a five year spread, you're going to see appreciation, principal pay down. And you're going to see a, a massive amount of equity that's been built up, right? And when you think about that on the flip side, what other investment can you put $100 a month into that's going to grow $50,000, $70,000 over five years, right? Yeah, we're talking about upwards of a 70% return on investment in yeah. a scenario where you're out of pocket, say, $150 a month. There's, there's nobody you can give $150 a month to and have that kind of a return. It's just, it yeah. doesn't exist. And a lot of people right. that I talk to about investment properties, they're like, hell no, I don't want to have a tenant. They're going to wreck my house. And yes, obviously there's risk in anything that you do. Um, but where we live, especially if you put a, a condo or a townhouse or a detached home up for rent, you're probably going to get 30 to 50 applicants, right? Like you literally have the pick of the letter. You can interview, you can pull credit, you can do whatever you want to make sure that they're going to be right, the right tenant for you. So what do you say, uh, there's a common thought out there that uh, you, if it's not cash flowing, it's not a good investment. False. I mean, yeah. False. Okay. Yeah, I, I strongly I, disagree depending on the area and, and the and the product that you're buying. The a million percent. There, in, in the one thing we've learned, and we've been studying this for a long time and helping our clients on this, and and uh, if you read or you follow real estate invest, there are certainly strategies which are which are tried and true, uh, but you'll find there's a lot of conflicting advice out there about what you should do, what you should always do. What really matters is the numbers. It comes down to a numbers game. We're not looking at the physical property. I mean, sure, we're looking at what's the location. Is there a sky train coming? Is there a bus coming? Is, you know, what's is a neighborhood? Those are all bonuses, you right? Know? Yeah, and these are all things that you want to consider when you're looking at the area that you're looking to invest, short-term, long-term, what that looks like. But at the end of the day, the numbers line up. So I'm going to run through just a brief example. I was actually looking at investment um, in the in the lower mainland. I won't get too deep into uh, the ins and outs of the location uh, with a client yesterday. And we did an analysis for them, showed them on our analysis calculator, broke it all down. So this client of ours uh, bought their property a couple of years ago. Um, they've now, and I'm actually going to break it down because a lot of people still don't know what equity is. So they now actually can borrow up to $100,000 on the equity in their existing home, which means their home's gone up in value. They can borrow up to 80% of that. They got 100000 bucks that we can take out of that. So we worked out a little bit of a, a situation where they would take that $100,000 out of their line of credit. They they top it up in cash with about uh, $30,000 to pay for the closing costs, the remainder of the down payment. A property purchase price at 600,000 bucks. This is a place, um, again, in the uh, in the valley, and we're talking about a suite upstairs, suite downstairs, renting for $3,300 a month, which is actually quite reasonable. I don't think a lot of people realize if you go to Abbotsford or Chilliwack, the rental rates don't go down substantially when compared to, say, Langley. Like it's pretty close, I, I bet you would agree. Anyhow, long story short, getting forward, they're actually cash flowing after every cost and expense, including setting money aside for, for a rainy day fund, 170 bucks a month. 
our outlook in five years if this client sells this property is a hundred thousand dollars after paying off the real estate agent after paying off all their expenses and fees and costs and paying back the HELOC and paying back the line of credit so that's they're amazing they're coming away with additional hundred grand if they keep that property longer then then it could be more now of course we're not guaranteeing a specific amount of money but we're using a pretty conservative growth rate of two and a half percent which is extremely conservative if you know anything about the lower mainland in real estate yeah that's fantastic i mean that's that's a perfect example of taking on really good debt. Yeah. So that was a lot. <laughs> yeah. um, but there's a lot of stories like that. And, and I think where we're going with this rental property long term is that whether it's locally, whether it's a condo, whether it's in the Valley, whether it's in Edmonton or Ontario or whatever that looks like, a long term rental property makes sense. You shouldn't just look at one of the three factors of real estate investing, but ideally you have three of those working for you at the, at the very least two uh, are, are holding you up quite strongly. Would you agree? Yeah. And you said long-term, which I think is key. I don't think anybody should go into an investment in real estate thinking that it's going to be short-term unless it's like a flip, right? An investment property. I think you have to go into this with at least like a three to five year plan. And, and just thinking most, about that before you do it. Believe it or not, we have a lot of investor clients and they, the way they look at rental properties is they're never selling it. Yeah. yeah. They're keeping it forever. Yeah. It's like that's their mindset. I'll tell yeah. you, I'll tell you. So the opposite of this obviously is a short term. We heard a lot about people buying um, pre-sales, for example, from 2015 to 2017, even 2018. And those who bought in 2015, 2016 even did pretty well. They made in some cases hundreds of thousands of dollars. I've seen people make almost a million dollars on a pre-sale that sold in 2018. But now we're also seeing the downside of that where we saw people who buy in 2018 or the end of 2017, we thought the market was going to continue or at least they thought the market was going to continue to go up. And now we're seeing people walk away from deposits or the property value is not hitting the same. And I don't think that's a common thing, but it's it's a danger of short-term investments. Our whole thing, if we ever were talking to a client, buying a presale is not a bad idea, but always be able to close on that property. Yeah, don't buy it with the intention of just hopefully flipping, flipping it for it, more. Yeah. Like you, you, that's a bonus. If that if that opportunity opportunity presents itself, you should do that. But buy the property with the intention of closing on it, and either living in it or renting it out. Agreed. That's like buying weed stocks. Oh, trying to trying to sell it before it closes. It's a Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, a Bitcoin too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just a very risky play. All right. Yeah. What was the last time you guys heard about Bitcoin? I haven't heard about that for a while. Hey. Just today. I've yet to use it. <laughs> today, today, today. I heard about it today, yeah. What'd you hear? Somebody asked me if they could use it as a down payment. Okay. Yeah. I, I Honestly, I've never never been asked that before. Yeah. It's legit. I'm sure you can. We'll look into it. We'll look into that. I don't have the answer for that yet. But <laughs> <laughs> is there any value left in the Bitcoin? There is. I mean, apparently, according okay. to this individual. Okay. I'm not an expert there. <laughs> cool. Right on. Right on. So marijuana stock, Bitcoin, we're, we're going to diversify and keep this going for you. We're going to get even more diversified because I think our, our, our fourth... Um, way that you can buy and, and sorry make money in real estate four out of a hundred ways we're going to keep it to four today because otherwise you'll have to listen to us for six more hours which i know you guys would be thrilled on doing is something that is actually a little bit i wouldn't consider it controversial but i don't think people are thinking about it as a way to make money in real estate it's buying your your home buying your primary residence your actual home that you're living in yeah yeah totally so, they just from a tax perspective, so any investment property that you own, if it appreciates, if you make money and you sell it and there's a profit, you have to pay tax. There's a capital gain tax that's triggered 
I'm not an accountant. Talk to your accountant if that's the situation. But um, primary residence, if you've lived in that property for a year and it hasn't been rented out, there's no tax on appreciation. That's huge. Like where else in Canada can you make money and not pay tax unless you're doing it illegally? It's legitimate tax-free income. One of the ways that we've seen, like an example that hits home for us is a realtor that we work with who actually has never paid for a mortgage payment. So he's bought in his primary residence five times over. And he's never made a mortgage payment. He's lived in basement suites, rented the upstairs. He's always found a way to utilize rental income. Uh, He's done renovations. He's done builds. But he's made sure that he stayed in these properties for at least a year so that when he sold it, the appreciation was tax-free. Yeah. Never. Yeah. So so that actually that leads back into it. So is he buying it as a primary residence or is he buying it as a rental? Like, do you want to break that down? I think we should. I think we should spend a minute talking about that scenario um, and explain exactly how that worked. Because we just basically said, hey, we know someone that bought their house for literally, well, they bought it. Um, actually, he with no cash in, in his hand, but he didn't pay a penny for a mortgage payment. And now he's on his third build, is it? He's building his third home. I think he's on his fourth, but yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, so I mean, he lived in the home for at least a year. In every one of these homes, he lived in it for a year and then sold it. And so if it, you know, there's an example where he lived in the basement of a home that and rented the upstairs for, you know, well over $2,000 a month. And so in that case, he wasn't making a mortgage payment. And then the others where he flipped... He either, you know, added a suite like we talked about and then lived in that suite, rented the upstairs out or, or vice versa. So and then with the appreciation, he he's made enough money that he would never have to have paid a mortgage payment in that. My favorite part about this whole thing, besides the fact that this guy's never paid a mortgage payment, is he he didn't put a penny into it of his own money. Yeah. He yeah, started off a good borrowing point. money <laughs> from his parents. Yeah. Via line of credit. Yeah. Did his first build, made some money, paid them back, and now he's rocking. Yeah, so so I, I'm I'm gonna jump into the line of credit thing because I don't think people give that enough credit, and um, it's something that I actually was talking to a client of mine the other day. Uh, he reached out, just you know, shot me a message on on Instagram, um, and he was just kind of like, "Hey, hope and heck, I don't know if I can actually do this, but I don't have any money for a down payment, but I really want to get into the market. Are there any options out there? What does that look like?" Conversation with him led to essentially, let's talk to the bank of mom and dad, but. I don't want you to actually borrow money for them or take any of their money. Why don't we take a look? Like they live, in, they live in a house, they have a small mortgage. Why don't we see if they would allow you to put a line of credit on their home to give you that line of credit? You'll cover the interest on that and buy this property and have an investment component, have a suite in it so you could pay them back right away and pay them off. And I, I don't think it's maybe it's a creative option, maybe not. I don't know. But I don't think it's something that people have really thought about for a long time because it's quote unquote, people have the mindset that it's risky or there's a high cost associated with that. Your, your line of credit, once we set that up for for the parents, the interest cost associated with that is like 4.45 on average, if, like four and a half percent. Yeah, prime prime plus a half percent. So, I mean, and that can change if, if the bank account changes rates and decreases prime, your rate's decreasing too. So there's that component as well. But I think that like a lot of people, I don't want to ask my parents or maybe my parents are too conservative, but if you're actually going to go through the motions and have that discussion, like work with somebody that, that knows what they're talking about and they can help you build a plan to present to your parents. Like if I call my mom and ask her for 300 K today, she'd probably say no. But if I told her what (laughs) it was for and how I was going to pay her back, she might actually consider it. Right. So build a business plan. Yeah. So true. And I think on that point, um, just, just, 
with regards to our parents and what they want to do, most of our parents actually do, and and the people we meet, they do want to help. They do want to leave inheritance. They do want to leave something for their kids. This is a way that your parents can leave you a quote unquote inheritance without spending a penny. Yeah. Nothing from their retirement. They don't have to invest anything at all. And they've helped you immensely. And it's a, it's amazing what the power of, of multiplying can do. That So this individual borrowed, I think it was $150,000 of a line of credit from his parents. And the second home, that was all paid. When he bought the second home, yeah. that was all paid back. And then the second home was bought with his new earned money. Yeah. yeah. So it's pretty amazing, right? Now he's Super on to his cool. fourth, right? So it's Super very cool. cool. So we got, we got a, a lot. We got some messages on here. Um, we've had some people uh, sending some notes through, suggesting that they're, uh, they're getting some good value from this episode. The next couple uh, podcasts, we're going to dig a little bit deeper. I think we're going to hope to have some experts popping on the podcast this year, which I'm pretty excited about that. We're also planning to do some live events breaking all this fun stuff down. So make sure to, uh, if you're listening to the podcast, make sure to give us a thumbs up, hit the subscribe. If you're on YouTube, same sort of thing. Give us feedback. We need it. We love it. Get, <laughs> this, is, this is all new to us. And we're just trying to give as much value as we possibly can. So guys from uh, Dean, Derek, myself, Thrive Mortgage, thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate it. And we'll catch you guys in a couple weeks time.